This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the official death toll from COVID-19 passed 31,000 Thursday. But vaccine supplies are increasing, and Governor Ron DeSantis says he's trying to figure out when to lower the age limit and allow people under 65 to get their COVID shots. So the next step for the general public will just be to lower the age. So it's going to happen, I would say, without question, barring any problems with the vaccine distribution, you're going to see the age lower at some time in March, for sure. And as soon as we have the metrics to justify it, we're going to let people know. DeSantis is a big fan of the new one-dose vaccine by Johnson & Johnson. The efficacy rate may not be as high as the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, but the governor says it's his choice, and he's putting his arm where his mouth is. I'm 42, I'm going to be closer to the back of the line. But when it is my turn, I'm going to take the Johnson & Johnson. I'm just going to get one shot and then be done. More help could be on the way from D.C. Congressman Charlie Crist says the House plans to vote today on the American Rescue Act. President Joe Biden's plan to step up the fight against COVID and start rebuilding the economy. I think it's vitally important and if passed, will put our country, I think, on the right track ending the pandemic and providing real relief to families here in Tampa Bay and across the country. A crisis of this magnitude requires a bold federal response. Cities would get a cut of the $1.9 trillion rescue package, but cities here in Florida are gearing up for trouble in the legislative session that begins next week. The League of Cities is trying to fend off a bill that would strip them of their zoning authority over home-based businesses. Certain types of businesses don't belong in residential neighborhoods. For example, massage parlors, restaurants, mechanics. Nobody wants their biggest investment that they'll make in buying a home uh, to turn into a nightmare when the house right next door turns into a boat repair yard or a tattoo parlor or a 24-hour convenience store. These are some of the egregious examples that could happen if these bills were to pass. We'll also have your calendar of events and close the podcast with a story of a Florida man who dressed up as an alien to steal a package off a porch. You know, he even paused for a door camera so the homeowners would get a good shot of his mask as a souvenir. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast on Florida politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, February 26th. This is National Pistachio Day and National Skip the Straw Day. On this date in 1919, Congress designated the Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona. In 1924, Adolf Hitler went on trial for treason after the Munich Beer Hall pushed a failed coup d'etat by the Nazi party. He was convicted, but the sentence was so insignificant it only encouraged him to do it again in the 30s. The lesson of history? If you don't punish insurrection, you encourage it. And it was on this date in 1954 that a state representative in Michigan by the name of Ruth Thompson introduced legislation to ban the mailing of obscene, lewd, lascivious, or filthy rock and roll records. Former Governor Bob Martinez tried to do the same thing to a Miami rap group called Two Live Crew back in the 1980s. He inspired the crew to drop a new album called Banned in the USA that included a song just for the governor. Kids, cover your ears.
We had a blast covering that story back in the day, but I've never really forgiven Governor Martinez for forcing me to buy a two live crew CD to do my job. The governor's efforts to ban the crew turned a relatively obscure band into a national phenomena and boosted their sales dramatically. The Department of Health reported 6,640 new cases of COVID-19 Thursday and 140 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 31,018. Total number of infections in Florida will hit 1.9 million either today or tomorrow. More than 1.4 million Floridians have now completed their two-dose vaccination series of either Pfizer or Moderna, and more than 1.2 million have received their first shot. The Department of Health reported 6,640 new cases of COVID Thursday and 140 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 31,018. More than 1.4 million Floridians have now completed their two-dose vaccination series, and 1.2 million have received their first shot. Governor Ron DeSantis says the state could begin vaccinating people under the age of 65 as early as next month. They're watching the daily shot numbers to figure out when the time is right to shift the focus from seniors onto the next age group. So the next step for the general public will just be to lower the age, uh, and, and we, that is going to happen. But I don't want to say you're going to be able to do it next week if, if I don't know what the vaccine situation looks like, and I'm not sure about the, the demand uh, for the seniors. Now, I do think there are some signs and places that are well over 50 percent of their seniors that it is softening a little bit among seniors. The way I look at it, you have 4.5 million seniors, at least 2 million of them would have crawled over broken glass to get this. I mean, they're online, they're doing whatever. They really, really wanted it. Uh, then you probably have a certain amount, and I don't know if that's half a million, a million, who just don't want it. It just, that's their choice. And we obviously want to make it available for everyone, but we're not going to mandate it for anyone. And then you kind of have folks in the middle who aren't opposed to it, would take it, but are not going to kind of go out of their way. And so I think the more you get into communities, I think you get some of that group to, to get in. And we were down in Hernando yesterday, and it was a, it was a senior community, uh, mostly manufactured homes, and they were coming in on their golf carts. And I think some of those folks if it was just them having to get an appointment at a pharmacy or something, probably wouldn't have done it. But because it was there, they were able to do it. So we just have to look at that to see. But people, I've said from the beginning, we are going to lower the age. Um, and as soon as we're in a situation where the seniors are, are being taken care of, you know, we're going to look to do that. I think we can do the law enforcement and the classroom teachers just given some of the additional vaccine without really impacting the 65. I mean, that, that's a decent number of people, but you know, if, you, if you expand it to 55, that's millions and millions of people. And so then we'd end up having the jam and all that stuff again. So it's gonna happen. I would say without question, barring any problems with the vaccine distribution, you're gonna see the age lower at some time in March, for sure. And as soon as we have the metrics to justify it, you know, we're gonna let people know. But I would point out, People say, oh, well, these other states have all these the plans of when they're going to do it. A lot of those plans haven't worked out. I mean, they've had to change their criteria from the beginning. They had plans in December, had to shift. Most of them have shifted to doing what Florida's doing. And so we're going to continue with seniors first. If we were, were one of the oldest states, if we were one of the youngest states, we'd probably be done with the seniors by now. Um, but look, we're going we're gonna to be there for them. But you will definitely have access. And then what I think will happen is, because of the increase in Pfizer, because Johnson & Johnson will start getting produced more, I even think you'll see more Moderna. As we get into April, this thing is not going to be very difficult for people to be able to get. I think the supply is going to be very robust. So we're looking at, you know, within the next four to six weeks, you know, you're going to see this, I think, 
potentially really turn a corner just in terms of how ready access people have to it. DeSantis is expecting the first shipments of a new Johnson & Johnson vaccine next week, and he's been talking it up nonstop at his daily COVID events. The official efficacy rate is only about 66%, but the governor says that number is deceptive, and he's vowing to get the J&J vaccine when it's his turn. They'll say it's not as effective as Pfizer and Moderna. It's only 67%. But understand what that refers to. It was found to be 100% effective at preventing death and hospitalization. And that isn't that what you want? So they're saying it's not as effective at prevent, preventing a mild cold-like like, uh, symptoms, which, okay, obviously no one wants to get a cold either, but that's much different than facing something that could be life-threatening. And so Johnson & Johnson vaccine is going to be, is, the, the data has been fantastic. We're embracing it. If we get a shipment of it, we think the beginning of next week, perhaps, uh, we want to be able to make that available for folks throughout the state of Florida. Now, I'm 42. I'm going to be closer to the back of the line. But when it is my turn, I'm going to take the Johnson & Johnson. I'm just going to get one shot and then be done. So I think it's really good. I think the data has, it was fantastic. And I just hope that people, when they're making these decisions, aren't thinking that somehow it's ineffective. Because the fact is, in their clinical trials, anyone who took the vaccine, not one of them died, and not one of them had a serious hospitalization. So that's a really good thing, and that's something that we're going to want to put to use very shortly. The U.S. House of Representatives plans to vote today on the new COVID stimulus bill. It's called the American Rescue Plan, and St. Petersburg Congressman Charlie Crist looks forward to voting yes. I think it's vitally important, and if passed, will put our country, I think, on the right track. Ending the pandemic and providing real relief to families here in Tampa Bay and across the country. A crisis of this magnitude requires a bold federal response. This tragedy has already taken over 500,000 of our fellow Americans, over 30 thousand of our fellow Floridians. That's why it's time for Congress to meet this moment and pass the American Rescue Plan. Delivering relief into the hands of Americans, fixing Trump's disastrous vaccine distribution rollout, and getting resources to states and localities that need them desperately. Many of you know that I have uh, my issues not only with the former president, but also the governor and how he's managed the response here. President Biden's American Rescue Plan is the right way to go about making sure our vaccine rollout is fair, equitable, that our response supports our communities who are struggling the most, uh, and that we make sure these folks receive vaccines and testing far faster than they have in the past. The American Rescue Plan also includes crucial provisions to expand healthcare coverage, making accessing healthcare more affordable and address racial disparity in the coronavirus treatment and outcome. This should not be a partisan bill whatsoever. Republicans and Democrats alike agree that the American Rescue Plan would be a lifeline for cities across America. The bill would also provide the kind of local funding we need for our schools to provide the best education possible. I am hopeful that this will be a turning point in this long crisis and that the Senate acts too to send this bill as soon as possible to President Biden's desk. Let's get this done now and turn the page on the pandemic as quickly as possible. We all know about the $1,400 checks for individuals. Tampa Mayor Jane Castor says the rescue plan also includes money to support communities struggling in the wake of COVID-19. You know, we have, have come through this pandemic and are still coming through it uh, very well. We're a strong and resilient community, but we need that assistance. And this American Rescue Plan 
is what the country needs. I have seen it firsthand here. Uh, we were able to put together some funding and provide relief for our small businesses and for our residents for, uh, for rent and mortgage relief and utility relief. I actually delivered some of those $2,000 checks to our small businesses. $2,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but many of those checks were met with tears. Individuals that said, this is gonna allow us to stay open for at least the remainder of this month. And there's still need out there in the communities. This is going to be used to increase the administration of the vaccines. We're fortunate, Hillsborough County was named as one of the four sites in the state of Florida for the additional vaccine administration, 2000 doses a day. So we're very pleased to be able to get more of our residents uh, vaccinated here in Hillsborough County. But this funding is needed in so many other ways with our healthcare workers, our first line first responders to keep them safe and healthy, but also to reopen our schools, to provide that workforce training so that people can pivot to another profession, another job. And in doing that, there's gonna be need for childcare uh, relief as well. So many areas that this funding is going to be able to help lift America up. The price tag for the American Rescue Plan, $1,900,000,000. That COVID relief package is just one of the issues facing local officials in Florida, and the legislature is about to make their lives even more complicated. David Cruz with the Florida League of Cities says one of their biggest concerns in the upcoming session is a bill to eliminate local regulations over home-based businesses. A home-based business is not the same as working from home, as many of us have had to do during the pandemic. Um, working from home, doing a Zoom meeting, uh, taking a phone call uh, from your house, as all of us have had to do during the pandemic, is not the same as a home-based business. A home-based business is a commercial operation where you're having uh, customers come over to a house, come in and out, increase traffic, increase noise, um, essentially commercial activity from a residential property. Zoning is one of the basic tenets of local control. It has always been a core philosophy that zoning is done at the local level, and that is to ensure that compatible uses are placed next door to each other. Nobody wants a slaughterhouse to be placed right next door to an elementary school. And so through local zoning, we have been able to place compatible uses next door to each other. Uh, we've also had uh, a very good zoning laws placed in our state so that if we were to change a use, there would be public notice, there would be public meetings, there would be the opportunity for all of our city residents to be able to come and discuss the changing of a land use designation. However, if this bill were to pass, a residential house would be turned into a commercial operation almost overnight with zero public comment, with zero public notice, with no input from the community, a commercial operation could open up right next door to your house. The homeowner that wants to open up a home-based business has private property rights. The homeowner that lives right next door has private property rights. If those two property rights are competing against each other, it is the proper role of local government to balance those needs out so that one use is not encroaching on another's use. And so what we've seen at the local level is that these common sense limitations have been things so far as to say that there should be hours of operation, that there should be limitations on a home-based business's noise or odors or fumes, 
um, that certain types of businesses don't belong in residential neighborhoods. For example, massage parlors, restaurants, mechanics. Nobody wants their biggest investment that they'll make in buying a home uh, to turn into a nightmare when the house right next door turns into a boat repair yard or a tattoo parlor or a 24-hour convenience store. Um, these are some of the egregious examples that could happen if these bills were to pass. They're also tracking bills that would preempt local regulations over home shares through platforms like Airbnb, VRBO, and HomeAway. Casey Cook with League of Cities says they spent 10 years working things out with these companies, and now lawmakers want to blow it up and take away their authority to regulate home sharing. We support home sharing. Um, we support short-term rentals when done the right way. I think fundamentally, though, the question that should be asked is, who has more property rights, me or my neighbor? And I think local government should have the ability to step in and balance property rights through zoning or other mechanisms so that uh, in especially traditionally residential areas, you don't have incompatible uses or you aren't impacting the surrounding properties. We think that local problem solving uh, is a must. Unfortunately, the two bills that are filed limit our local problem solving ability. House Bill 219 by Representative Fisher and Senate Bill 522 by Senator Diaz essentially wipe out any ordinances or regulations adopted since 2011. These ordinances were vetted locally through multiple public hearings and stakeholder groups. They have worked. They have solved the issues in communities around the state. There is peace in the valley. And unfortunately, these two bills would wipe out those problem-solving regulations that local governments have put in place. Now, what works in Pensacola may not work in Pahokee, and so we believe that local flexibility is a must here so that those local elected officials can tailor a solution that works for their community. We support home sharing. We think that if it's a homesteaded property and you want to rent a bedroom out, you should be able to. Uh, we think that if you have a homesteaded property and you want to rent out your accessory dwelling unit, you should be able to. Uh, we do think that non-homesteaded properties should be treated differently uh, by saying local governments, any regulations that you have in place for bed and breakfast would also apply to short-term rentals. And they can't be any more restrictive on short-term rentals than what you have in place for bed and breakfast. The third item on the league's list is something they actually support. Amber Hughes says the bill to collect the sales tax on products purchased over the Internet will help local businesses by closing a tax loophole. In 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court undid about 50 years worth of precedents requiring um, out-of-state retailers to have a physical pres presence in Florida in order for the state to compel them to collect and remit sales tax. Um, so in more than two and a half years, Florida is one of only two states that has not fixed their sales tax system to ensure that there is fairness um, for our local businesses. Um, this year, we do have two bills filed, uh, House Bill 15 by Representative Clemens and Senate Bill 50 by Senator Gruders. Um, the league is very supportive of both of these bills. Um, we think it is very important. Our local businesses support our Little League teams. They um, they are our neighbors, they are part of our communities, and we believe that healthy local businesses create healthy cities. We think at the end of the day, this is an issue of fairness. This is not a new tax. Uh, Florida relies on the honor system for um, consumers who purchase goods from out-of-state retailers to remit their sales tax. We know that that is not happening. We think it's important that these bills get passed this year in, to ensure that our local businesses are not having to compete with out-of-state businesses that don't have to necessarily pay local property taxes or have brick and mortar buildings. We have seen throughout the pandemic that obviously consumer behavior has transitioned to a more online sales basis. Um, so now is the perfect time for this piece of legislation to actually pass. 
tasks. Um, at the end of the day, we think requiring out-of-state businesses to collect these taxes will ensure that the dollars spent by Floridians will be kept in Florida and will benefit Floridians. If you had to sum up the league's biggest concern in just one word, it would be preemption. The legislature assuming control over issues that used to be handled at the local level. Integrity Florida released a report earlier this week saying preemption has turned into an attack on home rule in Florida. Our junior senator in Washington has teamed up with other Republicans who voted against certification of Joe Biden's electors to file a new bill they claim will save democracy from confusion and chaos. It is called the Save Democracy Act. Scott says if people don't have confidence in their elections, then they don't have a true democracy. He does not say what we should do about people who lie to undermine confidence in the elections and our democracy. Attorney General Ashley Moody went on Fox Business Thursday to criticize President Biden for reducing two of Donald Trump's immigration policies. She's upset about his decision to undo a freeze on green cards that allows immigrants to work here legally. Moody also criticized the president for ending an ICE program called Operation Talon that targeted convicted sex offenders. Now, Fox News had previously reported the Biden administration had absolutely nothing to do with that. But that did not stop Moody from accusing the president of abandoning all safety concerns when it comes to immigration. Next up on Sunrise, your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man who dressed up as an alien to become a porch pirate. But first, a word from the sponsor. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Your sunshine calendar gets off to an early start. Trustees at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind are holding committee meetings at 8 in St. Augustine. That's followed by a full board meeting at 945. The Board of Chiropractic Medicine meets online at 830. The Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission meets at 9 to wrap up a two-day online meeting. The Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 9. The Board of Osteopathic Medicine meets online at 9. And the Florida A&M Trustees meet online at noon. Finally today, Florida porch pirates are going galactic. Police in Jacksonville say a Florida man wearing a full head mask and dressed as an alien stole an Amazon package off the front porch of a home in the Arlington neighborhood. The whole thing was captured by the camera on the front door, and frankly, it's a really good mask. Police have no idea who it was, but they think he may be responsible for a number of burglaries and package thefts in the neighborhood over the past year. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.